If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. This weekend, a major new exhibition on the tomb of Tutankhamun opened in London's Saatchi Gallery. The exhibition contains more than 150 artefacts from the pharaoh's burial chamber, the largest collection ever to travel outside of Egypt. Our digital editorial assistant, Rachel Dinning, visited the Saatchi Gallery last week to get a sneak preview of the exhibition and speak to its curator, Tarek El Awadi. I'm at the Tutankhamun Treasures of the Golden Pharaoh exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery in London today. So please forgive some background noise. And I'm joined by curator Tarek El Awadi to talk about some of the amazing objects they've got here. So Tarek, um, would you mind telling us what your intention with the exhibition was? What were you hoping to achieve? This is a unique exhibition uh, because for the first time, Egypt allowed 150 objects from the treasure of Tutankhamun to travel outside Egypt. And this is this number, uh, you know, never traveled before in any other exhibitions. Among the 150 objects, we do have 60 artifacts never traveled before. So this is the first time we showed people outside Egypt these 60 masterpieces of art. And we are celebrating 100 years since the time of the discovery of the tomb. So this is a unique event. And we would 
love to show the magic and the beauty of the treasure and the story of the discovery of Tutankhamun to our visitors. Yeah, perhaps you can tell our listeners a little bit, bit about the discovery, which happened in 1922. Describe the moment that his tomb was, was discovered by Howard Carter. Before I describe the moment, which was a unique moment, of course, in the life of uh, Howard Carter, I have to mention something about his work, you know, because people think that the tomb was found in 1922 and this was the year when Howard Carter was searching for the tomb, but this is not true. The search for Tutankhamun goes back, you know, many years before 1922. It started in 1918 and uh, it continued for five archaeological season, excavation season, and uh, the uh, sponsor of the excavation, Lord Carnarvon, decided that the season of 1922 will be the last excavation season. So he called Howard Carter for a meeting in London and he informed him that he has only this one season, the last chance to come with a big discovery and uh, no more fund for other excavations uh, in the Valley of the King. Howard Carter came back to Egypt and he went to the Valley of the Kings and a few days after, you know, uh, he was called by the uh, overseer of the workers to see something appeared from the ground, a step. And in few hours, this step was 16 steps leading to the entrance of a sealed tomb. Mm-hmm. When Howard Carter looked at the sealed doorways, he, you know, ordered the whole passage to be refilled again with sand and closed, and he put guards, and he went directly to send a telegram to Lord Carnavon, asking him to hurry and come, because he just came with a discovery, an intact tomb. A few days after, uh, about uh, two weeks, Lord Carnavon and uh, his daughter Lady Evelyn were there in the Valley of the Kings. And uh, they, uh, with Howard Carter, cleaned the passage again, revealed the uh, staircase to the uh, sealed door. They were standing there, and it was the ni- it was the night of uh, the 26th of November in 19. 19- 22, when Howard Carter made this small hole in the uh, sealed door and he had the first look inside, you know, using the candlelight. Out of patience, uh, the uh, Lord Carnavon was asking Howard Carter, what do you see? Do you see anything? <laughs> and Howard Carter, it was the moment, you know, uh, every Egyptologist, every archaeologist wants to experience. So Howard Carter just answered, yes, wonderful things. And these two words became remarkable, became, you know, a model for uh, unique discoveries after uh, Howard Carter. So this was uh, the moment of the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun. 
And today, Tutankhamun is such a household name. He's a celebrity around the world. What, what is it about him particularly that has so captured our imagination? I think uh, it is not just the discovery. It is not just uh, because he, the one who owns the only intact royal tomb to be uh, found from ancient Egypt. Uh, it's because of the shiny gold inside the tomb. It is because of the amount of treasure which was found by Howard Carter in this small tomb. It's the smallest royal tomb in the Valley of the Kings. And also because of the stories, you know, uh, related to the discovery. The stories about uh, the curse of the mummy, of the course. curse of Tutankhamun. And uh, it is true that after 3,300 years, you know, from being a for forgotten king, you know, the name Tutankhamun became the most known name among people all over the world. Mm -hmm. Now, a substantial portion of the exhibition here focuses on the funerary process that he underwent after his death when he was 19 years old. Um, can you tell us a bit about Egyptian beliefs about death and, and how they treated their pharaohs? How, how did they prepare them for the afterlife? For the ancient Egyptians, this was not the end. Mm -hmm. And this is very important, that they believed that this was just, you know, the beginning of a journey, a journey to the afterlife, a journey to an eternal life. And that's why they dealt with the dead king as a traveler, you know, someone who's traveling to unknown world and to have his journey successful, uh, he, need, he needed to be well equipped. Uh, had everything he might need during the journey. That's why uh, with Tutankhamun, we found all these boxes, which like suitcases in <laughs> our days, you know, like any other, any normal traveler, you know. But of course, this was a mysterious journey because no one made this journey and came back to tell us what he experienced there. That's why we have so many things, different artifacts, but each artifact is doing something. Has a purpose. For the, has a purpose, has a job to do for Tutankhamun during the journey to reach eternity. So what are some of the standout items in the exhibition here for you? Which, which ones really should people know about and come, come to see? Really? People should see the 150 objects we have. <laughs> all on of this the objects. Of all, course, of the of objects. Course, all of the objects. Yeah, objects. of course. But yeah, it's which... very, very difficult questions about my favorite. <laughs> your favorite. That's what I'm asking these, you. What's your favorite? The masterpieces in this. We do have 150 masterpieces from the treasure of Tutankhamun. So I'm asking every visitor to take time and to look at the beauty and the magic in these artifacts. Of course, he will. Every visitor will be astonished once he arrives and see the guardian statue. This is the only life-size statue, you know, uh, found inside the tomb of Tutankhamun. And, and what was its function, this, this marvelous yeah. life-size statue? So let me first uh, stress on the fact that this object is traveling outside Egypt for the first time. 
this is the first time Egypt give permission for these artifacts to be on a touring exhibit. It's unique. And uh, why uh, the name Guardian Statue and what is the function of these uh, artifacts? It was actually one of two statues. They look identical. And uh, Howard Carter, when he uh, entered the tomb, he was in the so-called antechamber, the first chamber in the tomb. And on his right hand, he saw the both statues standing, looking at each other and as if they are protecting something. Two guards, two, two guards, yeah, yeah, as uh, two guards. And when he examined the wall in between, it was the entrance to the burial chamber of the king. So that's how they got the name Guardian Statues. So uh, the magic in this artifact is that when you look at uh, the face of the Guardian Statue, it doesn't matter what angle you are standing or if you come close to the face of the statue or uh, look at it from far. You know, the statue doesn't look at you at all. The eyes are looking far beyond our world. The eyes are looking to the afterlife, to the eternity. And this is magic. How the ancient Egyptian sculptor made this, you know, this is a question I cannot answer. But I'm asking every visitor to come and have a look at the uh, guardian statue and experience the magic in this object. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Of course, until today, the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb stands like the most significant discovery made by uh, man. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash history extra just go to indeed.com slash history extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed an item that, well, items that I found particularly striking when I had a look around were um, the jars in which his, in which Tutankhamun's organs were kept, and they look, they look like miniature coffins. Actually, they look, they like little figures, um, and they were just particularly, particularly striking to me. I was just struck by their beauty. Could you tell our listeners a, a little bit about the mummification process itself? What what happens? What happens when a pharaoh dies? Um, why were why were their organs removed and placed into these jars? What was that? What was the purpose? Okay, mummification was very important for the ancient Egyptians. You know, they uh, needed to keep the bodies uh, in order to have the souls, you know, recognize the bodies and re unite once again in the afterlife. So the idea was that uh, they have to uh, preserve the bodies uh, 
and they have to uh, do a mummification and it's long process and it didn't the experience you know it didn't uh, just come like this it took many years it took decades and thousands of years to reach the high level of mummification of course is everything starts with the dry hot sand the ancient egyptians noticed that these dry and hot sands really preserve bodies you know from prehistory and uh, then they examined the sand and they they find out about the neutron salt so uh, the bodies they have to remove the organs in order to give the chance to the impalmers to put impalming material inside the body from inside and preserve the uh, the body from outside and from inside they first started with removing the water the tissues uh, from the body by putting the dead body in uh, the natron salt and after they finished the process you know they filled the body after they removed the organs with natron salt and uh, linen poles and also many different sorts of oil to keep the body preserved and then they wrapped it with a uh, many level of linen pure linen in order to separate between the body and the oxygen you know mm-hmm. to prevent any communication between the body and the air around uh, the top level of mummification is the royal mummification and this and, is what Tutankhamun would have and experienced. And this is what Tutankhamun, you know, uh, had uh, when he died. So coming to the organs, they dealt with the organs, of course, as parts of the human uh, body. And uh, each organ was mummified separately and was buried inside the coffinet, the miniature coffin, exactly like the body, with the name of the diseased or the name of the dead person uh, written on the uh, uh, canopic jars. That's what we call canopic jars mm-hmm. the, for the organs. And they assigned a goddess to protect this part, you know, from the organs of the king. Take, for example, we have the coffinet uh, for the liver of Tutankhamun and uh, goddess Nut was assigned to protect this liver and you have the spell from the Book of the Dead to protect, you know, the uh, this organ. And the Book of the Dead was this sort of guide to taking a, a pharaoh or someone through the afterlife. Yes. Uh, you know, the uh, ancient Egyptians, they had many uh, beliefs about what the king will face in the afterlife. And they were prepared. Uh, even they believed that, uh, you know, the king needed uh, a guide, you know, a map to the afterlife. That's why we have the so-called the Book of the Gates and we have the Book of the uh, uh, Caves. We have uh, the Book of the Day and Night. And these are religious books, you know, talks about what is in the afterlife. And there are are, uh, many different, you know, geographical 
areas in the afterlife the king has uh, had to pass through uh, in order to reach the moment when he will reunite with the sun god and do the eternal cycle with the sun god every day, you know, uh, rise and sets. Coming back just to Tutankhamun himself, he died when he was 19 years old, which was, um, it was young, and there is still this mystery around how he died. What are the, what are the theories? Why do we think that he died at 19? Well, uh, it is true that uh, Howard the Carter found the tomb of Tutankhamun, and he found uh, more than 5,300 objects inside the tomb, but very limited uh, information on the king himself, on his life, his family and his death. Uh, after the first examination of the body of Tutankhamun, scholars believed that the king was murdered. But thanks to our modern technology, you know, and the modern uh, research uh, made on the mummy of Tutankhamun, this theory is completely rejected. Mm-hmm. And uh, we believe that it was a natural death, you know, uh, not murdering or anything like this. But what is the cause of this? This is something we cannot confirm until today, you know. Uh, we do know that uh, Tutankhamun uh, suffered from some health problem. But we cannot say that these health problems, you know, uh, was the cause of this. And we do have evidence that before his death, he had uh, an accident, you know, and he broke his leg. And uh, we do have unhealed uh, broken leg. But the question is, uh, this accident was the cause of death of the king? You know, we cannot say 100% yes. Hard to say. Um And just as we come to the end of the interview, the final section of the exhibition focuses on the discovery of his tomb by archaeologist Howard Carter. What would you say was the cultural significance of of this discovery? How how significant was it? How huge was it for the the Egyptologist community? Uh, It is a fact that before the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun and after the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun are completely two different things, two different stories. Before the discovery of uh, Tutankhamun's tomb, we knew ancient Egypt through the uh, magnificent architectural, you know, uh, buildings like the Great Pyramids, like the temples, the tombs. But after the discovery, when Howard Carter found the tomb of Tutankhamun, he actually opened a window for everyone, not just Egyptologists, you know, a window for us to look at this magnificent world, the world of the pharaohs, and have a treasure for the first time, a treasure we can touch with our hands and learn from it. So we're talking about two different stories, before and after. Of course, until today, the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb stands like the most significant discovery made by uh, man, you know, and uh, thanks to the work of Howard Carter, you know, uh, when we look at his documentation, when we look at uh, uh, the, the restoration work made by him and his team, Alfred Lucas, you know, as a restorer, uh, the way, they, they, how many years they spend working on this 
treasure, you know, we have to admire this work, which is still, until today, stands as a model for us. And it is remarkable when you look at the items, just how pristine they all are, and you would never know that they were from such a long time, long time ago. Um, just absolutely exquisite. Um, one final question that I, I was also curious about is this is one of the final times that I, the items will be allowed outside of Egypt. Um, what, what's involved with the transportation of these items? Like, how do you safely move such old objects and you know, keep them preserved? Of course, we are, you know, we deal with uh, very unique treasures and priceless uh, artifacts. So we do have a plan made by experts, by professional, you know, just to uh, make sure that the uh, artifacts will travel and tour the world and uh, go back after the tour to Egypt safe and sound. And uh, we uh, plan for everything you know, concerning this uh, tour. And I cannot tell you that uh, how proud and excited everyone in the team working and touring the world with Tutankhamun. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today. And I can vouch that people really should come and see all of the items because they're incredible. Thank you. Thank you. That was Tarek El Awadi. The exhibition, Tutankhamun, Treasures of the Golden Pharaoh, runs at the Saatchi Gallery in London until the 3rd of May 2020. If you want to find out more about Tutankhamun, you can read a cover feature on The Boy King by Egyptologist Joanne Fletcher in the December issue of BBC History magazine, which is on sale now. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. Tune in again on Thursday when Ian McGregor will be discussing the Berlin Wall. Thank you.